BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The Incomparable, number 641, November 2022. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I am your host, Jason Snell. This episode, where it's a twofer. We're going to cover a couple of Disney Plus Marvel series that I wanted to not let pass us by without t- talking about them. So we're going to discuss Ms. Marvel and She-Hulk colon attorney at law joining me to talk about these two interesting Marvel TV shows are the following wonderful people. Chip Sutterth is here. Hi, Chip. Jason, uh, there's something different in your genes, like like a mutation. I just thought you should know that. Um, This is the part where I introduce the next guest. See, I broke the fourth wall there. Cicero Holmes is here. Hi. Hey, Jason. Uh, uh, just, just, just so you know, I'm fourth in line for the Iron Man three, so I may have to cut out. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Eric Ensign's also here. Hi. Hello. Uh, I'm really bummed that I have now eaten all of my leftover Diwali sweets because every time I watch or talk about Ms. Marvel, I want to eat some Barfy. Mm. And Moises Chuyan also joins us. Hi, Moises. Um, Snellers, have you ever had a tequila sunrise? <laughs> oh, it's Madison, everybody. This is now a Madison podcast. But she didn't show up Fair. where you think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let us start with Ms. Marvel. One of the new, I one of my fascinations about, about Marvel stuff drawing from so many years of history is how the modern MCU seems to have very little fear about mixing the new and the old. Um, I was thinking about this in the, uh, there in the black Panther sequel kind forever, which just came out as we're recording this. And we're going to talk about when it's on Disney plus, uh, there's a character there that is one of the very oldest Marvel characters. And there's also a character who's one of the very newest Marvel characters. And I just was tickled the fact that those people were in the same movie since it's a character from the late 2010s uh, and a character from the 30s in the same movie. Well, uh, Kamala Khan, Ms. Marvel, a little um, older than that, but not a lot older. One of the more recent breakthrough new bits of uh, intellectual property, like a great character that was created by G. Willow Wilson in the comics and finally makes it to our screens in the Disney Plus Ms. Marvel series, Kamala Khan. She lives in New Jersey. She, she's, she's, she is, uh, why don't we start with this? I just want to throw it out there. She's such a Marvel superhero. One of the things that I think is brilliant about Ms. Marvel and how, uh, G. Willow Wilson wrote this character at the very beginning is although there are so many things about her that are new, she is a Pakistani American and a Muslim. 
uh, uh, so we've got a, a, a brown teenage girl. She's also in New Jersey and not in New York. She's looking across the river. <laughs> and yet, you know, the Marvel vibes are so strong. She's like, parents just don't understand her. She's carrying kind of a burden of responsibility. She's got her friends. How does she keep her identity a secret? Like, that's one of the things that I found delightful in the comic and also in this TV show is that the TV show is like very much this is a different kind of Marvel character in terms of not being the same uh, kind of uh, <laughs> same white boy that was in many other Marvel comics. Mm -hmm. And yet also recognizably very much a Marvel Comics character. And I thought that the the TV show did a great job of getting that across. I had several moments where I got the Spider-Man feels. And for me, that is super mm -hmm. important. Uh, that's why I love Buffy the Vampire Slayer so much. And I got it from Ms. Marvel too. That that same kind of Spider-Man-y kind of feel of like, oh, her parents don't understand. And don't they know she's got these powers and what does she do? And it's great. Right. Well, yeah, I think I think one thing that uh, Miss Marvel really got to show us was that uh, no matter how different we seem, we're all the, kind of the same. And, uh, you know, and I think that all kind of shine through. Right. Like that, even though uh, her cultural makeup is is unique. Right. It's a little bit spicier than than we're we're used to seeing. It's the fact that the the things that matter right are the same are yeah. the same kind of teenage angsty stuff and universal and, you know, and I, <laughs> right right yeah right like you know oh it's an american teen and she's she's going through american teen drama right which is which is always laughable while also going through her own cultural drama yeah. while also going through the like the drama of of the hero's origin story right like discovering your powers and dealing with your powers and and having to to defeat the villain who who you know of course naturally springs up because you have your powers right like all of those things are 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 messed in together with this this uh this wonderful mixture and and you know it's it's pretty awesome and and you get to add to that the fact that uh, because she is a teenager and she's a teenager now at this time in the world where all of these other superheroes exist, it's, you know, she may not be breaking the fourth wall, but right. it is still incredibly meta because she is a fangirl. And now that's yeah. something I could totally relate to. Right. I, would, I may have had a bunch of posters of stuff up all over my walls when I was a teenager. I can't possibly <laughs> comment on that. Mm. Um, but yeah, the fact that she is just so super duper into, uh, into superheroes, she's making her own fan art and stuff that that you get all of those cool Marvel vibes, but you also get like the extra layer of she is just as much of a fan of them as we are the audience. So it's uh, it's like this double whammy of, of cool feels that I like a lot. Yeah, I, I think another portion of that, you know, kind of to break the fourth wall about it is that that uh, Iman Vellani, yeah, uh, who 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 played Miss Marvel, mm. was a fan of Miss Marvel, right? So <laughs> so she <laughs> is fangirling out as she is playing a character. It's fangirls all the way down. <laughs> yep. Right, right, exactly. Like it's it, you know fangirling to the bone, um, and and so like all of that energy, I think, really played to um, make this show great. And, and you know, one thing that I will say that I think is kind of a shame and just kind of like taking the the temperature of the Internet, which is which is, you know, fraught with with uh, with danger yeah. is is the fact that I don't think. 
enough people appreciated what Disney was doing or what Disney has been doing on Disney Plus with the shows, right? Like all of these shows, and we'll, you know, we'll probably wind up talking about it when we talk about She-Hulk, is, is that all of these shows have been genre shows, kind of like the movies, where there have been genre shows that are also superhero shows, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And this was kind of like the, the teenage, it was almost like Buffy, right? Yep. Like it was almost, yep. it, was, it was very much the teenage girl coming of age, trying to figure out her stuff out. Um, High school dealing drama, with that. baby. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> so many lockers. Right, with, with, you know, coupled with having superpowers. Yeah. Um, Strange and, things and, are happening to me and I don't <laughs> understand what it means for <laughs> identity, right? It is a classic <laughs> metaphor. It's right, right there. Strange things good. are afoot at the Circle Q, man. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's the the Marvel DC series have made this tremendous shift from Falcon and the Winter Soldier to where they are right now. Ms. Um, um, Marvel and She-Hulk, they're both going after expanding the MCU audience. The Peter Parker thing is spot on. This is in that same classic Marvel Comics sort of world. But you are you are seeing uh, a, a completely different community, and the most effective parts of Miss Marvel, I think, have nothing to do with the smashy smashy, mm, and everything sure. to do with the family and the specificity of uh, of of the of Miss Marvel's community and of the mosque itself and everything everything there uh, i love the specificity of ms marvel and of she hulk and um i think that a lot of default uh mcu fans older white guys like me gave these shows a miss and it's really regrettable because this is the most interesting stuff that marvel's doing right now I mean, for, for for me, the one of the big standout things about Miss Marvel is is something that's been the case. I mean, it was it was the case with with Moon Knight, and it it has been with others where uh, people from from within uh, specific cultures are being allowed to tell their own stories. The the fifth episode of Miss Marvel dealing with the partition of India, Oof, um, yeah. just mm-hmm. just um, I I I don't I don't see how. They could have told that with, you know, like Stuart Baird directing it or right. something. Right. 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 Like, Ali is a, a, a British Pakistani woman who she's the showrunner of the show. Um, that episode, in fact, the only thing that made that episode not a complete revelation to me is that there was also a Doctor Who episode about the partition <laughs> yep. of mm-hmm. India. The the first mm-hmm. two times I've seen popular culture in 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 the in America and the UK. Uh, actually directly address the partition of India. And it's like, I guess, did a clock, like an alarm go off somewhere where it's like, well, finally we can <laughs> yeah. talk about this. <laughs> well, and, and it's, it, I mean, the, there, the statute there, of limitations has been lifted. Yeah. I mean, 80 years and then you can make shows about it. Great. Right. Some of the dumb grumbling that was already mentioned, um, you know, there's grumbling about that where it's like, oh, well, you know, it, it demonizes all of the British. And it's like, well, no, not all the British, just the imperialists who were doing colonialist stuff. <laughs> yeah, who wrecked um, those countries who, and all those who people. Who wrecked those countries, <laughs> murdered people, sent them to their deaths, you know. Made them leave their homes because they had to go to the other part. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, for for me, like the 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 big win of the show 
is that um, even though Doctor Who will soon have a home on Disney Plus, um, <laughs> where, where you have those, and uh, this isn't a Doctor Who show, but anything with enough Jason and Eric on it eventually yeah, it becomes happen. a bit of a Doctor Who show. <laughs> you know what's going to happen. Uh, as, well as, as well as Chip. I mean, they can, they can uh, make a playlist, yeah. though, the, right? They can say, you, here's this Ms. Marvel episode, here's this Doctor Who episode. Mm-hmm. You watch them back to back. Right. Yep. It's um, the only it's the two filmed order. things in popular <laughs> culture in America and the UK about the partition. It's not true, but it sort and, of feels well, and, like and that. To be, <laughs> to, be, yeah. to be fair, as, as often as Doctor Who has tried, they haven't always succeeded because it's often still a, a, a white man, often a straight yeah. white man, um, uh, putting that lens on things where, oh, look at the, the, the evil of British imperialism. Uh, but they weren't too evil. There were some not evil <laughs> imperialists. Right. Um, there's but none then of you bring here. in Vinay Patel to tell that story and yeah. it looks and a heck did. of a lot more evil. Exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but I mean, here here it is. It is something that, uh, as others have said, I wish more people uh, would have given a shot. And I think some people who maybe don't have kids, who will suddenly have kids, who want to watch stuff. The kids end up watching Miss Marvel with them and they end up catching Miss Marvel five years from now and they learn something that they didn't know anything about. Uh, and 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 I think that there there is there is going to be that sort of time displaced uh, sort of of uh, of reaction to this show. And I think in the fullness yeah. of time, it's going to get more recognition just by virtue of more people seeing it. The, the number one thing that I love most about this is that everybody who has been wanting a Spider-Man show uh, similar to the original comics this is based on, you basically got your your teenage high schooler superhero Mm -hmm. dealing with superpowers and all that kind of stuff, but updated for the Gen Z Mm -hmm. uh, world. And and it it succeeds in marvelous fashion uh, to be incredibly corny. (laughs) Um, yeah. with, with all of the, I mean, the, its own version of breaking the fourth wall, the, the, the kind of artistic flourishes of, mm-hmm. of drawn mm-hmm. art that appear no. in the live action frame. That, that first episode is one of the best so single good. episodes of television in terms of the look, the very clearly defined look that I have ever seen. And, and you know, and the whole show is like that, but that first episode is such a visual, um, declaration as well of like, mm-hmm. this is what the show is going to be. And it, right. You're right. The, the show is break. The graphics are breaking the fourth wall, yeah. even if the characters aren't, you so know, good. this is, this, this may seem like a really bizarre connection, but it reminded me of a show that was on ABC starring, uh, uh, the guy from the shield, but it was called, uh, Michael Chiklis. Uh, called No Ordinary Family. No Ordinary Family. Yeah, and and uh, yeah. So a, a lot of the effects were, uh, you know, they were they were like the low rent version of the. I mean, that show came out fifteen years ago. Right. Um, like or last week, um, because I'm old. Um, so well, like so I, I was I was lost because you said the guy from the Shield and not the Commish. It was twenty. It was just, 20, 2010, I just 2011. The Commish. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yes, he was. <laughs> um. But uh, yeah, he was the commish. That's right. Sorry about that. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, like I felt I felt those same kind of vibes. Mm-hmm. Like really good, wholesome, great. Like for the time, they were great effects. But the effects, I feel like the effects team carried themselves over to uh, to to this show um, and really kind of helped make this show what it is. It, I don't know what it was about it, but I really got that vibe from it. And then when they go to 
when they go to Pakistan, when they go to Karachi, which they shot okay. in um, in Thailand, actually, which is quite a, uh, it's an interesting, <laughs> I, I, the logistics of it, I want to imagine. But I, I love the fact that they went uh, out of the U.S., out of Atlanta and shot in <laughs> Thailand, dub, doubling for Karachi. And uh, that is so eye popping as well. Right. Like that. That is for it for a, an American streaming television show like I like that it didn't feel like it was a set or yeah or the volume posing as uh as Karachi Pakistan but actually right. again it was Thailand but it like it felt so much richer they built plenty of stuff but sure. it it worked it worked within a part of the world where that type of architecture is common even if, even yeah. if there are differences you know the 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 layout of cities it, it didn't feel like you were shooting New Jersey for Cuba Exactly. Exactly right. Yeah, it's Vancouver for where 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 you got in the world, right? It's not Vancouver that. for everything. It's not. It's not that. I wanted to mention one of my favorite uh, moments in the Ms. Marvel comic, which is very good, and uh, I can say as the husband of a uh, children's librarian, also very popular and not recommended and recommended and loved by uh, librarians and their their patrons as well, like the G. Willowes and comics, so good. But one of my favorite moments from it is um, Kamala goes to her, um, the imam or the sheikh, I guess, the sheikh uh, at the at her temple um, and and basically does the superhero confession scene where it's like, <laughs> oh, my parents and I don't know and they don't want me to go out, but I go out. But I have this thing and I can't really talk about it, but I, I can help people. And she is, she's feels like she's in trouble and she is going to get a stern talking to by her religious leadership because her parents are very much like, you're not going to go out, you're not going to do anything. And he says, if you have the power to do good, you are responsible to do good. You must do good because if you don't, then you are shirking your responsibilities. And it is essentially the Uncle Ben with great power right. comes great responsibility <laughs> speech. But to have it be from the religious authority in her mosque right. and have her expect that he's going to say what her parents say and then he doesn't, it is an amazing moment. And that moment gets, it's not quite the same, but it's real close in the TV show. And that's another one of these things that I really loved about it is this idea that, you know, you as a, as a teenager, you think your parents, everything they say, Say, like they just don't understand parents just don't understand <laughs> but to have that moment of wisdom right dispensed to her which is mm -hmm. your your in, in, intuition here to use this power you've been granted for good is right <laughs> like i love it i, I just it's, yeah. it's such, a, such a great thematic um thing that this i want to lean into that just a little bit more too because you know there's not been a lot of over religion or religiosity in the mcu i i can at the at, at this point i can only remember uh steve rogers making a passing reference to yeah. god in Retro one of the avengers movies actively retroactively daredevil <laughs> i guess but it doesn't yeah. really count but daredevil, daredevil is a very yeah. very catholic and uh, i mean there's yeah. uh, again there's like i would actually rather there would be a new season of daredevil that's just matt murdoch talking to his priest but i've said that on other podcasts <laughs> yeah but yeah, yeah you're right uh, and, Jim, not and a i've lot. missed i've missed most i've missed most of the netflix daredevil series unfortunately so that, I, I did not understand Same. that reference good news but, it's a disney plus daredevil series now yeah <laughs> he'll be born again 
Yeah. <laughs> I'll take that but, one, thanks. Uh, but if I could veer close to the point that I was trying to make. Um, okay. Miss uh, <laughs> uh, Marvel leans hard into the religion and uh for and the power and strength of the muslim community uh that she embraces and for the mosque to come together in defense of her at the end of the series you know um there are so many different facets to religion in american life and it's refreshing to see the mcu uh take it on and to do it in such a positive manner with mm -hmm. uh one of the most with one of the most uh discriminated against religions in america yeah uh, I, I i really do appreciate that and that level of conscientiousness to me goes back to the uh agent cleary who some people may know uh better uh as stewie from succession um who was was cast for no way home uh him being the government agent from damage control that that is actually in charge, um, even though he has miscreants under him who aren't listening to his orders, um, as as much of a hardliner as he is at the same time, there's that sensitivity of him going, remember, uh, these people are used to having people come and accost them in their places of worship, um, right. have some sensitivity and and that th they put that level of conscientiousness into going, we're going to carry this agent character over from the Spider-Man movie into this series. Um, I, I like that they are looking at things, not just for this project, but this project and the next project and where other things are going to get connected. There's probably a broader conversation to have about the interconnectedness of stuff and, and plot threads dangling for other series and spinoff things and all that kind of stuff. But that, that's one way in which I really like the connectivity of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is that they are making those kinds of choices going, we need to have this layer of conscientiousness in the narrative that is going to be, you know, one line said by one character, um, but it needs to be tightly woven into the fabric of this thing so that we aren't just, um, you know, examining one particular extraction of people in this one show yeah this is a whole universe of people everybody exists everywhere well and and the depiction like her parents like if the whole depiction of islam in this show was her parents being very conservative and telling her especially her mother right her father's mm. not so much uh but but, <laughs> but it is but is not right it's a it's a fun yeah. parent dynamic there that i recognize <laughs> um perhaps i've said too much uh but the uh but but if that was the only depiction you'd be like oh yeah you know it's typical you're she's a muslim and her parents are super conservative and they don't let her do anything and then she rebels but that right. that is with it with the conversation um, with with the shake, uh, with with the uh her friends and the other people in the community, um, you get that broader scope, which is that three dimensional thing, which is Kamala doesn't is not rebelling against her religion, right? She is trying to find a way to square the values that she believes in with her reality, and her parents have a different and more conservative take on it, but that's not what the story is. The story is how Kamala is going to square her responsibilities and her beliefs with, you know, with one another. And that that's what I really like about it is it, it is, again, if you just have a couple of characters, um, 
filling a stock position, you're going to get this flattened stock view of it. And that's not what Ms. Marvel gives us. And even those characters aren't necessarily like flattened because by the end of the show, you find out that (laughs) Muniba, she Mm -hmm. she left because she was she was a bit of a wild child. And, like you know, we get to see the pictures Mm -hmm. of her. I feel like, you know, that leans into one of the reasons that I adored this show is, yes, there's a lot of great Marvel stuff that leans into its own genre. And this is absolutely a teenage uh, sitcom almost type show like a coming of age story and it hits those beats just as well as it hits the superhero beats i i still watch i I still watch a lot of uh a lot of like you know teen romance teen comedy type stuff uh because it's just sort of my happy place and this this was this was just like a more interesting version of my happy place because it was taking place in a totally different culture than most of the like let's face it super white stuff that i keep seeing over and over again and also it has the layer of the superhero stuff on on top of it so you get that extra like sci-fi fantasy layer that i really like so it just becomes this amazing layered work of of art that has all of these pieces in it and i i mean i was probably going to watch it no matter what but discovering that they did such a good job of you know the, at the very beginning we've got a teenage girl who needs to sneak out of her house in order to go do a fun thing like that is super classic and you know things do not go as planned and she loses her bike and she breaks her tree and like just everything you know and then oops mom's waiting for you when you get home it it, yeah i was the the first episode like as you said jason is such a bold statement in like this is what this show is going to be i was almost like put off because it was so (laughs) wild and like I was not I was not ready for like the crosswalks to talk to me and Mm -hmm. it was it was a lot Uh, but by the end of of them having to you know sneak out and sneak back in and the you know the best friend friendship which oh is it a little bit romantic and then oh here comes the really hot boy that she's actually totally into (laughs) like all of that stuff was right up my alley and by the end of it I was just like I I would like some more of this Mm -hmm. please. The the one so as we're coming up on it, I will say that um, I think um, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday, and it's not just because of the food, but it's because it is the most American of holidays. It is the one holiday where everyone, if at and at their table, they bring something from their culture to American culture. And that's what America is all about, right? You're going to have turkey. You're going to have stuff in it. Everybody's Thanksgiving. But the stuff that everybody eats, the stuff that everybody cares about is the lasagna uh, from from Nana's who's, you know, Nana made her own gravy or the arroz con pollo at, at you know, at Titi's house or, uh, you know, it's it's uh, you know, the, the shag or the biryani that, that, that your auntie has brought over, right? Like it's all of those things brought together with the thing that makes us all American. And that's, I think that is why I, you know, I want to applaud Disney on the job that they did with, with crafting this story. But I think that they had an imperative, like there was, there was, it was absolutely necessary for them to do what it is that they did. And, and, um, kind of peel away the layers of of mystery 
behind this culture, behind the culture of 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 being Muslim or, you know, or studying, you know, studying Islam and and showing that Americans can do that and be in, innately American. I mean, the, like, the surrounding supporting cast for me is what really does that. You've got right. like, characters like Auntie Ruby, played by uh, Angela Bumani, <laughs> who is is probably best known as one of the voice actors in Overwatch. Uh, right. But she she shows up and she is the meddling busybody aunt right. that uh, exists in all cultures, um, <laughs> but 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 is but is not so universalized that the specificity of who she is 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 left to the side. Um, and and there's that level of richness to everybody. Erica was talking about, um, you know, we get this glimpse at, at Muniba's past, and uh, and the the actress is able to to live this um, the, this vivid portrait of a of a person uh, that um, you know we learn more about her as her daughter is is learning more about her and we understand why she is so, uh, you know, she says things like the thing about, so it's spyware for parents. Why am I only just finding out about this? Um, <laughs> like th it's, it's, it's all stuff that, um, you know, th there uh, as somebody who, who, who comes from uh, multiple diaspora cultures, um, there are the not great experiences with that. Um, but I was so tired of seeing only the look at the repressive other culture making a kid's life difficult. And this show lets let's 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 her family and her um, the culture that surrounds her make her life a little difficult. But it's also there to support her and make her who she is. And she doesn't have to reject that um, in favor of you know, ethnocentric, you know, uh, general wasp, mm -hmm. uh, white American culture, uh, being seen as, as, as preferential or anything that like, that's, that's the thing to me is, is that is left completely out of this. One word, Illuminantes. Oh, Illuminantes, <laughs> I see. Aunties, yes. see I, I think, um, one of the criticisms, again, it's easy to take these criticisms because they're, they're like almost straw men. They're from people saying ridiculous things is yeah, they're hilarious is why why is this you know this is just a show for girls this is just a show for for muslims and it's like no the beauty of the way this is executed is and when i said it's basically a spider-man show is what it tells us is it is both a very specific story about kamala khan a pakistani american who lives in new jersey and who is a mutation mm -hmm. anyway mm -hmm. uh <laughs> and it is universal and that's the beauty of it is it's saying yes it is specific and it is showing um aspects of culture that maybe you haven't seen in a lot of mainstream media but at the same time can you deny that this is as i said at the top the most marvelly <laughs> of stories <laughs> right like it is both and that is the uni the fact that it is specific and universal is the beauty of it. I think that's right. the point. And if somebody misses that, uh, that is, I guess to their, uh, like, I feel sorry for them because it is both of those things at once. And you can, you can appreciate the, 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 the flavor, the spice, the detail of the specificity while also appreciating the universal universality of it. So I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, and as has been yeah. said a billion times, like I, I love Spider-Man. Spider-Man's great. Peter Parker, he's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Am, am I able to enjoy that even though I'm a girl? <gasps> yes. What? Yes, I am. I managed. Who's a girl on this podcast? <laughs> right. <laughs> right? So, yeah, you don't necessarily have to be a Pakistani-American teenage girl from New Jersey to like this show. Yeah. It's Ex amazing. Exactly. As you write your life story... 
you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Mentioning comics and and the source material, um, something that absolutely astonished me and made me laugh out loud. And I was probably one of six people that had this happen was, was, uh, when they explained who this, uh, this sinister group were that they were the clandestine. Mm. Um, I just guffawed, um, (laughs) because this, I mean, it's, it's one of those like lesser of the lesser of the lesser Mm -hmm. known Marvel things. (laughs) And they didn't really change that much about the actual conceptualization of this thing and, and and managed to make it way more interesting than it's ever been in the comics. I'm so glad that you mentioned them because I was going to mention the thing I said earlier about how I think that maybe they handled the teen stuff better than the superhero stuff. Um, this is what I'm going to say about, uh, Ms. Marvel (laughs) that I didn't like, which is, um, they kind of tried to impose a superhero plot on the show. I don't think it worked. I think the clandestines (laughs) are not that interesting. I think that their story is resolved in a nonsensical way at the end, right? Like all of the Kamala beats are great. Her trip to Pakistan is great. All of that stuff is really good, but there's this whole, like the clandestines are here and they're going to send every, the whole planet back into like an interdimensional void so that they can come back and emerge and all of that. And then like, Oh, she died. Well, that's sad. I guess it's over now. Like it is so dumb. And, it, it, I don't know whether it was a plot that was there from the beginning and that the producers are like, let's just play this as well I, slow as so, possible. I don't know so, what, but it does. That part is the part that didn't work for me is that whole like, we need a villain and we, they're going to be this well, group. Jason, and, uh. Jason, Jason, the villain of the show is damage control. Uh, yeah. The villain of the villain of the show is is cops shooting at children, um, because that's that's who we actually face in well, the I, final I, episode. I agree, of the show. but the clandestine are there, oh, right. and they're like a distraction, yeah, and I feel yeah. like they get in the way of the story that I want to so, see, which so is the, like they so feel the, very conventional in a story that I don't want them there because they're so I, conventional. So I I agree, and and I don't want to go half measures about this. So what what I was starting to say was that they may in setting them up, they made them radically more interesting than they've ever been in the comics. But a thousand times zero is still zero. Right? <laughs> um, yeah. So the, the, so the, the thing, the, the thing, the thing that I came back around to thinking was, so why did they feel like they needed to use this? And yeah. I went some, somebody in, in development before this was given to Bishkei Ali and, and the team that, that actually brought it to the screen, they went, what Marvel stuff has gin in it and an actual <laughs> like, yeah. like, South Asian mythology baked into it. And the clandestine um, are are the superpowered progeny of Adam of Destin and Eliath, a djinn, uh, in the comics. Not terribly interesting. Nope. They look cool. (laughs) They look cool. Like, you know, one of them looks like they're covered in knives. So, you know, it's something that came from from the mid 90s. 90s, yeah. Uh, yeah. (laughs) um, So, so I, I... 
I found them Pouches interesting when they were introduced. We know that. And then the actual, the actual uh, extent of what they were uh, of what they were used for, not terribly interesting. But again, uh, back to the criticisms of the show. People who went, oh, but I, you know, they didn't explain everything about the newer and the other place and all that other stuff. I'm glad that they left that dangling and that they didn't have to explain everything about every single thing that was introduced in a show within the bounds of that six episode show. Um, as, yeah, as, I agree. It, it, for as, me, it's more as more uninteresting the... as they ended up being. I'm I'm glad that they didn't feel like the entire show had to be all about that. Yeah, the part that kills me is there's that moment where the the leader of the clandestine basically is like, "Oh, never mind," and it, and then the plot ends. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, all right, I mean, so I can what? I can accept I can accept that criticism, but I don't hate the clandestine. I don't hate the newer stuff simply because. A smashy, smashy, uh, sparkly quantum, uh, quantum effects. Sure. I, I'm there for it, and and I do think that Ms. Marvel deserved to have badass superhero moments. Uh, and if the enemies that she was up against uh, turned out to fizzle, that's okay. Uh, I liked having um, I liked having a little bit of Marvel so that it wasn't just a uh, family drama and it also set up you know the stuff with cameron and at, at the end um that was more effective drama than the clandestine stuff i thought not I even agree. just at the end though i mean i will tell you as the teenage girl at heart uh <laughs> one of the things that i loved about this story was the you know the the semi love triangle that you get and the fact that then you if you didn't have the clandestines as the bad guys, you wouldn't necessarily have Cameron's mom as the bad lady sure. and him having to choose between his mom and the girl that he sort of kind of likes and oh. wants to teach how to drive. I, and I, agree. All, I, I agree. just that I liked a lot. But I do think that uh, it. It, it, honestly, if they would have tried a little less hard <laughs> to make the clandestines mm. be important <laughs> and cool, like if they would have been a little bit more backgroundy and not uh, as as prominent, I think it would have worked better. Like yeah. focus on just the emotional beats of it and not the plot beats because the plot beats really were they, fairly nonsensical. They sell them as a big bad and they're not the big bad and they kind of mm -hmm. oversell them. I like I agree. Uh, Cameron is great. I love that he can't get Bruno's name right. It's great. Brian. Uh, I, I think, though, that there is that moment. And for me, this is the this is the the flaw in the season plot of Ms. Marvel is is it's almost as if they're caught in that. I hate to say this again, but like it's that we've done a lot of buildup, but now we need to sort of figure for the ending of the show we want. And so you get in that moment at the end of episode five where she's like, well, I give up. All my powers go to Cameron and I'll sacrifice myself. Bye. And it's like, <laughs> I don't think you this think makes any sense. I don't think it does, except that right. I know it has to happen. And Cameron is great, but like she's yeah. like, -ha -ha. I am like the, the villain. I will destroy you. Meh, I'm out. And it's like, okay, oh well. I must fly off to space. <laughs> That's right, to my home planet. <laughs> the complications of of adapting stuff from the comics it's it, it's it's weird for this property in particular because we, we haven't we haven't mentioned the I word yet. Inhuman, uh, Miss right. Marvel was launched as part of this whole thing oh. where Marvel Publishing had this whole we're not going to use mutants, we're not going to use oh. the Fantastic Four. The irony. Everybody with powers needs to be an Inhuman. Oh now. my god. 
and 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 so detaching it from all of the inhuman stuff which is now because of the massive spectacular fa- failure of that show uh through Marvel TV um I, I like at one point the rumors were abound that that the inhumans TV show was going to make an appearance on this show as a joke um <laughs> Th- th- that it was a terrible TV show in the MCU <laughs> and wasn't it, actually canonical it, they or something. They put it in Doctor Strange instead, which is interesting. Yeah. yeah. The irony of the fact that Kamala Khan was sort of going to be a mutant and then they're like, no, 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 we don't own the X-Men rights, which they do now. Uh, so we'll make her an inhuman. <laughs> and that now so they made her an inhuman and now they own the rights and they're like, no, no, no. Now she's a mutant. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, whatever. All right. Fine, whatever. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, and Kamran, like Kamran, like Kamala, was an inhuman in the comic. He was a new human, like her. Uh, where in, in the comics, uh, the Terrigen mists spread across the entire planet, and right. so loads and loads of inhumans showed up so that they They're could incredibly like mutants, minimize but all of the mutants. Distinct. But legally distinct within the same publishing organization for whatever uh, reason. But it's for so, film rights I mean, Com- reasons. Comron is a character. Comron is a character is so interesting that I, I, I would not want this show to not have Comron in it. I agree. Um, but I, I feel like I feel like it's kind of a recency thing. Of okay, how are we going to rework the the vibe of this um, so that it's not uh, it's not all inhuman based. And yeah. so they went, eh, what do we have that involves gin? Okay, let's slap that on it and call it a day. And I mean, they, they cover it well. Episode four and five are really good because one of them is the we're in Pakistan and the other one is we're back in time in the partition of India. And that's good uh, because the uh, the clandestine plot kind of happens in episodes four and five too. And it's like, you could kind of be like, yeah, but there was a bunch of other good stuff in those episodes. And so I think you can kind of get away with it. Um, we should move on. If people have final thoughts about Ms. Marvel, we should say them now because then we're going to watch talk it about... if you have not yet. Yeah, I agree. Please. It's yeah, so good. That's my thought. I, I mean, we it's said so Spider-Man. Good. We said Buffy. Like it is that kind of thing. It is a yep. classic coming of age superhero. Where do I fit in the world? Are my powers a metaphor for my coming of age? They are. Uh, all of that stuff is in there. I mean, uh, two two things to uh, um, as as uh, wrap up thoughts on my own for it. Um, the uh, here you can be uh, you can be Hulk and Baby Hulk thing. Um, boy, as the as the child of an immigrant, do I remember? Uh, here's a painted trash can lid. Be a Ninja Turtle. Um, right. You know that's that's what you want, right? No, I want I want the I want the terrible twenty dollar costume from Walmart. That's what I want. I don't want something handmade with love at home. No. Um, that <laughs> like for me, like that, this show got me sentimentally early on. Um, and you know, you don't have to be a child of immigrants for, for this thing to make something, um, uh, happen for you emotionally. Um, and as the son of a refugee, um, who, who fled a not great place, um, and was there, uh, you know, decades before he actually got out, um, you know, during a time of revolution, strife and everything. Um, anytime a story like that is told on the screen, um, you know, it, I, I'm an easy mark for it. Um, but it is not often uh, handled as well as this show handles it um, with with the seriousness um, as well as the underlying sentiment uh, and an emotional uh, layer of what is going on to people where all of these people, even the ones that are faces without names, 
um, that, that aren't central characters. Um, all of these people feel like people in this show where they feel like background performers in other shows yep. that cover similar material. Yeah. I also want to shout out uh, Laura Cartman, who is the composer and also whoever the music supervisor was, the, um, the South Asian music in this as well. Like this is mm. a very specific feeling show visually and in terms of the music. And I think they did a really good job. It It feels like I said before, universal, but also specific in a very nice way. I'm, I'm looking forward to the Aunt Ruby um, spinoff show. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep. The application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs. Just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Let's move on to She-Hulk colon, attorney at law, in which... Marvel takes another swing, as we said earlier, at genres. Can Tatiana Maslany be funny? Of course she can. Of course she can. Yeah. She's a brilliant actress. And this is a, yep. is it a, I mean, what's funny about it is it's like, how does Marvel do a, is it a sitcom? It's like, no, it's a comedy, but also a superhero thing. Like, I feel like this is maybe the greatest test yet of what makes an, a Marvel uh, product what makes an MCU product. And I got to say just out of the gate, uh, I think they nailed it. I think they killed it. I think they showed what I've, I've said all along, which is yes, please explore all genres through the MCU because you right. can do it. You can make anything an MCU show. I mean, I know WandaVision was sort of like, what if it's a sitcom from the fifties? Yes, that also works. But here we get something that is fourth wall breaking, kind of a sitcom, kind of not, uh, a the, little bit of a lawyer show, but not nearly as much as I was kind of hoping for. A, I got to be little, honest. Yeah, a little bit. Like they, there was definitely a version of this show that is just superhero law cases, and they're like, no, no, no. This I is want gonna that. Be a, this is going to be about Jen Walters. I agree. That would also be a fun show. The literally the Perry Mason of superheroes. Uh, I, I, Harvey Birdman. <laughs> Harvey Birdman. Harvey Birdman. Yes, but, sure. I mean, there's yeah. still room for it. So, like, I'm not complaining because yeah. I loved it as it was. Season yeah. two. I mean, whatever. <laughs> this was Ally McBeal, right? Yeah. Right. Pretty much. It was, yeah, McBeal. that kind of well, lawyer show. Hey, yeah. what if Ally McBeal was the cousin of the Hulk? Right, because well, it's the, law the two, plus personal, and it's all the personal life and the law and the weird office, and it's all put together. You're right. You're right. Absolutely, Cesaro. The, the combination, the combination of, of comic stuff that it was drawn from, the John Byrne run, which people go, oh, give John Byrne credit for that. John Byrne gets plenty of credit for all kinds of things right, that he right, doesn't like, deserve. Yeah. Um, right. But yes, John, John Byrne innovated the breaking the fourth wall thing, sure. Right. But the 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 run that the vibe of this, the Ally McBeal meets superheroes, um, that was Dan Slott's run that redefined the character in the mid-aughts. And then that kind of vibe was carried over in Charles Soule, an actual attorney the first actual attorney to Amazing. write both Daredevil <laughs> and She-Hulk, um, who who did a run after Dan Slotts. So the the uh, for me, if you're if you're looking at comics that you want to read, uh, the Dan Slott run is great. The Charles Soule run is great. You will recognize a bunch of characters that they used in this show. So my comic book frame of reference was entirely the John Byrne run, um, and John Byrne's take on She-Hulk had its moments of, shall we say, smarm. 
the moments when she's addressing the camera um, this time around, uh, it's 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 gentler uh, than the shtick that Byrne did. It happens every once in a while up until you get to episode nine, at which point, you know, just rip the bandaid off and we're we're just sure. going to go nuts. Um, but the the show is gentle and funny and sexy and smart and and cutting when it needs to be <laughs> um the you know i mean when when jen explains how she's better at handling her anger uh mm. than um than bruce is and then a whole horde of fanboys on the internet uh say oh my god Marvel is saying that She-Hulk is better than the Hulk, and then the show anticipates that. Let me that. tell you something. Yeah. Let oh me tell God. you something. Hey, men don't have problems controlling their anger. I'm going <laughs> to shout until I'm heard. And the show knows exactly what it's doing. I think you're right, Chip, that this is this show knows exactly how it's going to be reacted to and right. is playing to it the whole time. It's kind yeah, of amazing. You know, you don't you don't write the next episode of a show these days anyway, uh, after the previous one has gone out. So all of these scripts were pretty much done and in the can and 100 percent nailed what the reaction was going to be, you know, from the negative stuff to the positive stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, the little quip about like the X-Men and stuff in episode nine. I was just like, wow, they really know who we are, don't they? (laughs) They, And they do. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's um, I mean, I I enjoy a Mark Ruffalo cameo. I I think that the that it's fun. I like that the show knows that too and calls it out and is like, oh yeah, he's gonna come back later because you know we gotta have a we gotta have a cameo. Uh, he's a Jen totally does... different guy. He's yeah. literally a different guy. <laughs> well, there's that too, right? <laughs> because because we get Emil Blonsky in this. Uh, which is hilarious because he's from the movie that sort of technically is the first movie in the MCU or the second movie in the MCU, but nobody ever talks about it because it it didn't do very well, The Incredible Hulk. Um, and yet uh, we get Tim Roth as the abomination in this, but it is the Tim Roth who's kind of become oh, a, a hippie slash... Uh, self-help guru self-help guru yeah um <laughs> so and, you're telling me that i can make money by i guess doing yoga and crap and, and can, I tell, <laughs> can i tell you the retreat episode where yeah. where she goes to the retreat where there are i mean it felt like an episode of the tick and yes. i mean that in the yes. in the best way possible yes. which is it is a series of ridiculous heroes slash villains <laughs> having a therapy session with right. a villain who's now a therapist i guess and then our hero is there too and she's she doesn't want to be there and then she Look, sort of gets into it it's amazing right. let me yeah. let me let, let me say this i i i all the way through i did not want to believe that abomination had reformed because I, I I thought nope nope there's no way there's no way and th- this is something that you know caught me in a couple of respects where I went no no way did they do something this interesting and forward thinking no he's he's a he's a former soldier he's a he's a militaristic he's type a nope guy. he's mm-hmm. a bad guy and they may still reveal him to have been doing all of this as an act all along and they and they snowed us um, but I do kind of like the idea that he just kind of went mm-hmm. you know what can I just make a bunch of money and own a bunch of property and just not do any of this stuff? Yeah. I kind of like the idea of him going, 
here. Can here. I just retire from all of this superpowered yeah. junk? No internet, yeah. no cell phone coverage. Yeah, right. and we're gonna we're gonna talk it out with Manvol and Porcupine. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I want to I, I specifically want to call out man, uh, a man bull because he is a comedian that I follow named Nathan Hurd and he <laughs> is hilarious. So please check out Nathan Hurd on Instagram mm. and YouTube. Oh. They, there you go. Plug from plug for Nathan Hurd. Was I a lifelong Marvel fan clamoring for the live action debut of the porcupine. I cannot say that I was. And yet. <laughs> and yet, and yet, Chip, I found myself in a similar place regarding El Aguila. Yeah. There's also, I mean, there's other ridiculous stuff. There's uh, the the leapfrog, who is, um, reminds me of Frogman a little bit, which is one of those, like, again, bad, I mean, I just love the, like, whether they're f- heroes or villains, it's like you're just very bad at what you do. I love it. Um, I lo- I have loved it. Donnie Blaze, so long. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. Donnie Blaze. Uh, don't forget uh, Jamila Jamil as Titania, yes. who is yes. basically like my my goal is to just be an influencer. I'm just <laughs> using this to be when, an influencer. You know. When they announced that she was playing Titania, I went. Well, this means they have to do Secret Wars. <laughs> right. <laughs> the leapfrog thing was delightful to me from sort of the same meta perspective as we were talking about with Ms. Marvel, because here's this super entitled rich kid who is living in a world where there are superheroes and he doesn't have any powers, but he wants to be a superhero. So he spends tons and tons of money, you know, making a not so secret hideout and getting a suit that he's going to totally, totally screw up. Like it is exactly the kind of thing that I would expect to happen. I love that Marvel is exploring the wider world of like mm-hmm. what would happen to society if we really didn't have superheroes. Yeah. We there would be jerks like this guy hopping around and yelling ribbit and ribbit. There's no way that you could tell me that uh you know some kind of billionaire around here would try and build some kind of suit or recruit a lot of people to give them powers. Nah. It's not going to happen in real life. <laughs> Pro- no. Probably. Mm, probably. We don't have anybody like I, that. I like um so the theme, we've talked about a lot of these details because, look, this is a funny show with a lot of it, – it is them saying, could we do a funny show with Marvel stuff? And 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 I imagine somebody walking in and saying, I don't know a lot about Marvel. Is there funny stuff in Marvel? And having somebody who knows about Marvel being like, oh, man, let me tell you the ridiculous stuff that we got in the archives that you could pull out for this. Like, do you know about Frogman? Um, <laughs> but I also want to say one of the things that's great about this show is that we have Tatiana Maslany, who is a fantastic actress, and she is – uh, she is confronted as Jen Walters with the fact that she becomes this incredibly tall, strong, attractive green woman. Right. And <laughs> the show does not shy away from the fact that she would really like to be liked on her own terms and valued on her own terms as her own person, whether it's romantically or professionally. And yet what the world wants to do is say, no, 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 we weren't interested in you before. We're only interested in you now. And how she navigates that and deals with it and compromises when she has to and then realizes like where her line is, where she's like, I'm not going to compromise on this anymore. I just, I love that. And I think it's a really great example of how uh, how science fiction and fantasy stuff does 
metaphor, right, for reality. Like this is a case where we get this very interesting thing, which is, do they like me because of who I am or because what I look like? And that Jen has a real problem with all the, like she has her moments, right, where she's like, oh, well, I can just turn into the big green woman and then everybody will love me. And then later she's like, yeah, but it doesn't really, I don't like it. (laughs) I I liked it better when it was Teen Wolf. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the thing that I, I, that uh, it it resonated for me a lot, but was maybe my least favorite part of the show while it was being the best part of the show, simply because I, I enjoyed being able to just like laugh and giggle. But those were the moments where it was like, oh, my God, I, I feel so seen. You know, we talked yeah. about the uh, the how she's able to handle her anger so well because she's a woman living in the world. And we do that all the time. And I was like, yes, preach. I got hey, it. Rem- and remember then- all that unpleasant stuff, Erica? Here's more of a reminder. <laughs> and then and then when when we really get into it and we get to the therapy stuff and the whole what everything that you were just saying jason about wanting to be liked for herself and not wanting to have to put on this persona i was just like oh my god right. the days that i work from home and i don't have to put on makeup and a dress and it's just like and then i have to go to work and i would really love for my coworkers to appreciate me for the work that i do and not have to dress up and put on five inches of makeup every freaking day but i do and i just i was like they see it they get it and yeah it's a six foot seven green version of that but it's totally real That's the and magic. I, I loved it, and also it made me sad. But then mm. I loved it again. <laughs> uh, speaking of of love, I I think I loved, I absolutely loved and defended to the hilt eight and a half episodes of this show. Um, yeah, it <laughs> oh was so like it was. Uh, there were so many people that I that I talked to on a regular basis that were like, "Oh, I'm trying to I'm trying to figure it out." I, like, is it is it like I'm like, dude, it's a lawyer show, right? Like, it's a yeah. lawyer show with. With, uh, you know, it's Ally McBeal with with the Hulk in it, like with the <laughs> She-Hulk. Like, I mean, that's it. That is the show. Um, you know, like, I don't know what else you're trying to find there. Uh, and then and then the and then Megan the Stallion showed up. Right. <laughs> Megan the Stallion. And then, I, you know, and then, right. And then I stopped watching it. I kept rewinding. Um, but but it was <laughs> like to me and, I, you know, I don't want to get on the uh, critique section of it particularly yet but like when they in the final episode when they broke the fourth wall they destroyed like the I fourth felt, wall right right yeah. right like yeah when they, yeah they just they literally they come they out hulk the app. they hulk smashed right, it. go right. into another <laughs> app right like it's yeah they the fourth wall is um, gone i just i don't to me like jason you were talking about miss marvel where they where where it felt like they really didn't have an ending i felt like these guys were so inside the machine that they came up with an ending that was meta on top of the meta stuff that was super meta that got meta, you know? And it's meta and, all the way down. Right. And then it down. just, you know, like, man, you know, so I guess it started for me in the in the in the in the eighth at the end of the eighth episode with the big reveal where, you know, I mean, she's been doxxed, right? Like right. Jen has been doxxed and 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 all you know her most intimate moments her most vulnerable self is being displayed on 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 the screen to all of these people and the the one thing that everybody saw was that she got upset about it right like like how is that your takeaway from this the you know the rest of the yeah, show welcome was welcome to the world right, yeah. yeah but like the but the rest of the show seemed like they they really understood where they were and how um you know 
how they were, you know, like where they sat within within the world. But it just this it felt anachronistic. And maybe it is because I, you know, I've never spent a day as a woman. I, you know, I've spent every day as a black dude in America, but I've never spent a day as a woman in America. And maybe that's, you know, maybe that's the part that I'm missing. Um, but I just felt like, shouldn't people have some level of understanding that, you nope. know, like she's the they victim don't. here? <laughs> I will tell you right now. All right, well, they there absolutely you go. don't. <laughs> there you go. There you mm-hmm. go. That's I mean, that was that was another part that really resonated because it was the banality of like right. the, the video that they have. It's literally her, you know, getting it on with a dude, right. which there should be nothing wrong with that. But oh, yes, yes, right. there is. Right. If you're a lady. Oh, the Cicero, the, the problem is you you gave them the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I guess, you know, I guess that's what it is. You know, my my naivete. Um, but yeah, but I, I think that, you know. The 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 like the evisceration of the fourth wall just really felt like it it felt like that moment where they just were like, all right, let's wave our hands real fast and and get ourselves out of here. And and that'll be how we end the show. Aren't we so clever? And I was like, you're not. I, <laughs> I, I enjoyed the fourth wall breaking. I thought it was very funny. However, I think there's an argument to be made that it's disrespectful to the material and to everybody who's invested nine episodes or eight and a half episodes right. in this show, because while it's very clever, it is also it, it sort unfair. of like, it, yeah, it's like sort of hitting a reset button and saying, oh yeah, but, well, this is all made up. So all the stuff that you're really concerned about, about the story we've been telling all along, it doesn't really matter uh, right. because it's all just fiction and this is very meta. And I love meta, but I, it does undercut what we've seen right it, it it's it's it feels like i mean there are movies that do this it feels almost like a like a muppet movie or something where right. it's sort of like <laughs> it's sort of yeah. like right. oh in the end it was just all a meta thing because it's muppets no. and it's like but no, no there was a story i watched right. this for eight weeks i wanted an ending not just yeah. to be told that i'm a cog in a machine and while i appreciate the undercutting meta-ness of it at the same time to have it be like or like Wayne's World, right? Where they're like, oh, yeah, you didn't like that ending? Well, uh, okay, audience, here's another ending for you, which is like, I like I like it on one level. On another level, it does sort of feel disrespectful to the audience. It's gr- those, those things are great in movies, but not in TV, sh- not for TV shows. Uh, I'm not sure I'd go there, but uh, from the end of episode eight through episode nine, you've got some wild tonal shifts. Um, yeah. yeah. I have never experienced being doxxed. I have never experienced revenge porn. The stuff at the end of eight takes the the subtext and the metaphor and the the gentle um, the gentle poking that uh, the story has been and made it really, really real and uncomfortable for some uh, fellow fans that I know who are watching it and who who had experienced similar things. And then to go from that to the um, to the fourth wall breaking and the rewriting, um, you know, it is a it is a dramatic uh, change. On the other hand, um, it's there's something I think to be said for rewriting the story to be gentler and almost less exploitive. Um, so I I think I came down on appreciating uh, appreciating the end um, and the and, and the 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 gags with Kevin and and all of that stuff it it is a dramatic tonal shift but in the end i think it ended where 
She-Hulk had been the most successful all nine episodes. That's just my reaction mm-hmm. anyway. So uh, I, I I fall on the complete other side of things where I loved everything about it and don't feel like it, it, um, it, it can be seen as playing unfair if you're looking at it through the lens of, well, this show needs to behave exactly like every other show, right. just like every female superhero should behave like every other female superhero. Um, like the show is all about expectations and I love them taking the full turn into Looney Tunes's duck amuck, um, <laughs> where we see the hand of the artist right. as it were. Um, because we have all of these fourth wall breaks going back to the very beginning of the show and as serious of subjects as the show is dealing with, they, they don't play unfairly with us by starting out and it's like a show about a serial killer and it's an hour long and it's on Fox every week for 22 episodes a season. For me, I, I think it defying people's expectations is a good form of making people uncomfortable as compared to making people uncomfortable by, um, you know, doing what Law & Order SVU will do week in, week out, where they will just throw a giant pile of triggers in people's faces um, in in the most uh, terrifying and disturbing ways possible. Um, I, I totally get people for whom it didn't work, but by this point in all of this MCU stuff that I've been devouring all of, I really did need an absurdist jump not just through the fourth wall, but you know, through the quantum barrier, um, <laughs> where, where, where the show, I mean, the, uh, okay. In the fourth episode of this show at a dumb <clears throat> magic castle like place called the mystic <laughs> castle, um, some, um, dip for brains opens a portal and starts letting out a bunch of demons and she Hulk has to take a break from, uh, you know, Lawyering. having fun, fun on the couch, times. having fun oh, on that. the couch. Mm-hmm. Hello, Glenn's kids. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, to go throw a bunch of demons through portals with Wong. Um, <laughs> Wong now the the most beloved supporting character in the entirety of the MCU. It seems <laughs> um, based on the way that everybody responded to him. Um, I loved taking a character that that as portrayed by Charlie Cox to this point was a super serious, super gritty, very low lit, um, you know, guy who just exists to get bruised and, and blown up and just turn him into a, a kind, uh, um, just, just a, a full on, um, Oh, what's the word? I'm uh, not hunk, uh, himbo. They turned uh, Daredevil into a himbo. I, I, and I, don't, agree, I don't agree with uh, well, that. I don't agree with that. But I, for that. I, I love the idea that Matt Murdock is not all Catholic guilt, and that right. there's other other aspects to Catholic to, to Matt Murdock, and that, that certain, when when confronted by Jennifer Walters, who gets him and he gets her, he's like, yeah. All right, and she's like, "Yeah, oh, definitely, all right." And right. Uh, like that that yeah. episode with the, that Daredevil episode, like to take yeah. everything we know about Daredevil and uh, then be swoon. like, "Yeah, we're gonna have fun." And that, there's that yeah. moment down where they're in a corridor, and it's totally gonna be a Daredevil Netflix series corridor battle, and She Hulk just smashes uh, through the <laughs> ceiling and is like, "Nope." Uh, so good and Charlie seeing Charlie Cox being allowed to not be miserable mm, so Jason, good so Jason so I, 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 I hold, you, you cut me off before I, I went where I was going which was at a certain point 
she disarms Daredevil into being uh, it, it being okay for him to just be there and be pretty and likable. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with, with that because he's pretty and likable. Ketchup and mustard outfit that he's wearing. So, <laughs> yeah, for, for, so, yeah for, for me, like if I'll put it this way, if as if as a She-Hulk fan, I had been super, super attached to the dark, gritty, takes everything completely seriously, you know, like the horrible Snyderverse garbage um, uh, version of She-Hulk that literally never existed. Um, it would bother me, I think. Um, and I like being made uncomfortable in this way, as opposed to the being made uncomfortable where they're, you know, setting oh, wow. up fridging Lois Lane yeah, no, and all kinds of stuff. No, what a, what, yeah. I, I think that was a great little bit of insight there, which is this is a different way of making me uncomfortable. That's, I don't know. More entertaining, Better? kind of awesome <laughs> and fun. I, yeah, I was. I, I had also mixed feelings about like the end of uh, of 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 episode eight, where you know she loses control and you know she is shamed for her anger, which is a a very common thing with women. And the, I was like, oh god, where are we where are we going from from here? And I really was totally baffled at the beginning of episode nine, being like, wait, what? What, what what is what happening? What show I'm, is this? Yeah, exactly. And and then as soon as she you know busts out into the the Disney Plus menu, I was like, oh my god, this is this is genius. This is this is really the only way that you can do this right now. After you have gone to that place, it's the only way I'm going to be comfortable again. And then I think the thing that I loved about that was not just the fact that yes, this show really gets us, and it made the jokes with Kevin and all that kind of stuff, and you know asking where the X Men are. Um, but we have we. we you basically have a woman sitting down and explaining, here's where you went wrong. Here is how we fix it. And I like that <laughs> felt so good to me. I love that. But then after that, when she gets back and everything has already happened, I did feel really kind of not cheated, but let down. Like I wanted to see the stuff that she said we should do play out in front of me. I, I wanted to actually, and maybe that's just my nerd completionist brain being like, well, I didn't get to see it happen. So it didn't actually, didn't actually happen. Uh, but whatever the reason, I, I still ended up loving episode nine, but it, it, it leaves me wanting simply because I didn't get to see her version of the way things should happen, happen. So I still felt like I didn't actually get hmm. the closure that I wanted. I just got like the, the post closure and that was not quite as much as I wanted. And then speaking of post closure, like we get the, the cute little family barbecue and all that kind of stuff. And that was great. Then I was, then I was completely back on board, but I just, I felt <laughs> like I, I would have liked to have seen a rewind. Yeah, well, th then I felt like I was in a Fast and the Furious movie. Um, <laughs> Sure. I wouldn't yeah. know. Buster. Um, it's about I also appreciated that not only is she fixing the the show, she is fixing and commenting on very directly and through through her, Marvel is accepting criticism of itself. I I, I mm -hmm. mentioned right. I mentioned Falcon and the Winter Soldier at the beginning, and we've we've uh, several times on this podcast we have cited Falcon and the Winter Soldier as example of Marvel just ho-hum um you know the, doing mcu by the numbers and this is in different the numbers tech. this is totally yeah. different math it, it, this is <laughs> this, this is the marvel cinematic universe owning its shortcomings and actually making that part of the text through breaking the fourth wall and you know that gives me that gives me hope for the future hope for uh uh, you know, continued creativity and uh, stretching the boundaries mm -hmm. now that they know that 
they can get away with all kinds of stuff. Yeah, let's hope the next time they do it right without having to break the fourth wall. It's it like it it it, it did feel a little bit like, oh yeah, we're not actually going to completely nail stuff until we tear literally tear down the walls between fiction and reality to yeah. point these things out. So I mean, I, I like the idea of of that fourth wall break causing the kind of like Star Trek anomaly in space sort of <laughs> problem <laughs> that they have to fix. <laughs> That's the only, everything. oh, <laughs> time is broken. Oh, good. Again? Great. Um, but for me, the, the thing, the thing I found interesting reading interviews and everything was that the makers of the show found themselves going, oh, well, we have to end the show this way. Um, and couldn't come up with an ending that they really liked. And then Feige told them, you know, you don't, you don't have to end the show like all the other shows and all the other movies. You can do whatever you want. And if I need to tell you, no, I'll tell you, no. But I, I think a big piece of it is thinking about it within the framework of the box of marvelous toys. There are certain rules that the creatives feel like they can't, move outside of. And it's something that I think is an imperfect ending for anybody other than me who wishes that all of Looney Tunes were just that one duck amuck short. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, for for me, I I adored it, but I know why it's not for everybody. I like that that we got nine episodes of this where they were able to uh, I think do as much of what in particular came out of the Dan Slott run that was Harvey Birdman, Allie McBeal meet She-Hulk um, as they could within the bounds of this is the Marvel Cinematic Universe and you have to do certain things and play with certain things a certain way um, and and just let, let us do something that um, was fun and gave us people to root for and, uh, you know, good politics uh, at the core of it, at the heart of it, like we had with Miss Marvel, but that it is executed very, very yeah. differently than Miss Marvel. Um, yeah. And 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 that like the, the, them playing with different genre and different flavors of stuff. Um, I hope that this um, frees creatives up to uh, to get outside of the template not necessarily saying that they everybody needs to you know have their characters break into the Disney Plus menu like Deadpool or She-Hulk, um, but uh, feel like they can they can tell completely different kinds of stories. Yeah, I was gonna say that I I really appreciated the uh, like you know Jason was saying like you know the kind of like D list of of Marvel characters that got to make cameos in in on the show. Um, but you know, we had like the the Asgardian shapeshifter. We had the guy who who kept dying all over the place from, from the um, Great Lakes Avengers. From the gr- yeah, uh, yeah, Mr. Yeah. Immortal. Oh my god, right, Mr. Immortal. Right. Yeah, like the, I mean, all Another of these. Bit. Yeah, <laughs> these were these were great moments of world building for the MCU, right? Like this was one of the things that made the Netflix MCU. Uh, you know that 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 Netflix MCU expansion so great was the fact that they were, you know, expanding the world outside of the films and outside of, you know, a couple of television shows. When when you make the world more fleshed out, it, it feels more immersive just by having these weird people show up, you know, at, at any given moment. And they were all funny, right? It was all great. And, and I really, really loved it. Um, one other thing I, I want to call out. Mm-hmm. And it's I feel like somewhere during the middle of the season, 
the uh, the producers or creators ran out of CGI juice for uh, She-Hulk because she started looking really bad. I was going to mention, so we got a we got this a character here who is entirely CGI, right? Mm-hmm. And I I I got over it, but I agree there are moments where I thought that it was perfectly fine and like no right. it's not a real person but she doesn't she's not a real person a real person couldn't be that that tall and huge right like it's a, she's a hulk uh right. but i also do agree that like i was grading them on a curve a little bit right like there right. are moments yeah. where i think that they did a good job with it and moments where i really like i appreciate that they made the effort but yes. there were also moments where I'm like, like it took me out of it a little bit. And that, I, that, I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't blame the people running this show in particular. I think that there is something of a firewall as, as it has uh, come to be known between the creatives making a show and the visual effects professionals making right. the magic. And my understanding um, is that Kevin Feige said, just write it the way you want to write it. And we'll worry about the pay about how we pay for it. Uh, and then also he went back. And if you wonder, like, why is Jen just Jen right now? Apparently they did go back and basically go through all the scripts and say, where can we afford to not have She-Hulk? In order <laughs> yeah, to- and so then they have the lantern on that in uh, episode nine. Yeah, yep. exactly. Right. And yeah. I, I think I think the, the big problem was, yeah, write whatever you want rather than write whatever you want. But here, talk to the visual effects house yeah. that is going to be doing all of this so that the two of you creative professionals can collaborate on this and figure out a way to make both of your lives easier. That to me is the missing step that I'm assuming occurred there because again, based on stuff that has come out um, somewhat reliably, it seems not just about the way that Marvel does this, but the way that other studios do this, but Marvel is particularly bad at is yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we'll give it to the effects people. Mm-hmm. and they'll they'll make it happen or they won't make it happen and we'll give them impossible deadlines. Um, deeply unfair to those artists. Yeah. Um, and, and I think they would get better product if they would let the people who are writing and producing the the shows actually directly interact with, with the visual effects professionals because there are probably solutions that those two groups talking together would come up with that you're never going to get going through upper executives at a studio as your as your middleman. For me, it was a lot simpler than that. Is that there is a difference between a TV budget and a a Marvel movie budget, even when you're dealing with uh, Disney Plus. You know, when I'm watching uh, The Mandalorian. If I pay close attention, I can tell when they're using the volume and I can tell what it looks like. And I would rather have slightly sketchy or subpar uh, visual effects um, to get this to get this show. Um, It's Mm -hmm. it's miles ahead of Lou Ferrigno covered in green paint. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like it's it's not that I found it unwatchable. But for me, it's there are things that could be put into principal photography that would make it so that some of the stuff that looks the roughest maybe wouldn't have come out that rough if they'd known to light and shoot it a certain way other than, well, this is how the visual effects people generally want us to do stuff. So let's do it this way without actually asking the actual visual effects people that are doing this specific show. And and Kevin Feige should not have said, just write it as if you've got an unlimited budget and then we'll figure it out. Because then they did go back to them and say, all these scenes that you've got where Jen is She-Hulk, you need to rewrite them so that it's Jen as not She-Hulk because we actually can't. Even though I told you to write it how you wanted, we can't do that. 
Like you shouldn't have done that. You should have been more judicious up front with it. And I think it's a rare crack in the armor of Marvel's brilliant production process to see something like that exposed because it's like, you should just not have given those them those instructions. I know it makes you feel great uh, that you're like, ah, anything goes, but it actually shows that you're badly managing your writers and you shouldn't <laughs> and do actually, it that way. Just- just speaking about the visual effects, I, I do have to say that one of the my my least favorite things about the entire show is the choice to make her. Yeah, she's I mean, she's not like she's not impossibly tall. She's six foot seven. One of my best friends is six foot ten. So like he's a guy, obviously not a girl, um, but, you know, could be. But th- they make her very svelte and they straighten her hair. And right. here is a woman with very frizzy hair when she's Jen and she gets real excited about her hair being all straightened out when she is uh, when she's the She-Hulk. And I just I felt like the visual choices made me a little bit sad. I was just like, she doesn't really look that hulky. She's just tall and she has kind of broad shoulders. Like mm. why? Uh, it, 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 for the same reasons that I felt sad that poor Jen couldn't be liked just for herself and had to, <laughs> in, in some cases, rely on being She-Hulk to get ahead in life. Uh, I, it was a little bit heartbreaking just to see how they chose to visualize her for the TV show. Um, because they, you know, uh, a, a broader woman with uh, with kinkier hair maybe wouldn't have gone over so well with with uh, a lot of the audience, and that sucks. Yeah, I mean, I get I get why they did it for the storyline of yep. wanting to have the metaphor of do they like me for being me or do they like me because I'm She Hulk, and if she's a you know like somebody who could play in the NFL. Mm-hmm. It might be harder for them to sell that story, but you're right. I, yep. Erica, you have come up with what is one of the core issues with She-Hulk historically. And I appreciate that although they didn't do it with this, they did hang a lantern on the name itself, right? Which yes, I like because this is a character who I, I and Moises has listed a bunch of the classic runs. This is actually one of the great Marvel characters. That has generated and is never successful. Her comics always get canceled. But hmm. but Jen Walters and She-Hulk is one of the great, funny, interesting, unique Marvel characters. Um, and yet you Hilariously also... Hilariously enough, created so that they had a girl version of a franchise character to copyright. Yeah. And this is the funny thing, right? So you end up with the contradiction, which is she's this great character, but her name is a derivative of another character. And Mm -hmm. she is sort of designed for the male gaze. And yet they've done all this work to make her interesting as a person. And she's a lawyer and she isn't just (laughs) about being a superhero and all of those things. And the contradictions are there. And I would say that what I appreciate about this show is that they get into the name thing as a recurring bit. And I think Mm -hmm. it's really great because the only way to deal with the fact that she's She-Hulk is to hang a lantern on it. Because otherwise, like, mm. it's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so they're and like, it's not just a bit. It's a plot point at one yeah, point. They have to go to court me, over the where, awful yeah, name. They call me She-Hulk. <laughs> it's terrible, right? And then, yes, Titania has, t- has trademarked it. With There's clearly prior <laughs> art there. What are they even talking about? But still, it, that part is good. But I, I think I, I take your point that this is a character that has, I, I think, risen above its origins in so many different ways, but you can't really discount the origins. And the show yeah. d- does it to a point, but not to the other point. Because they, honestly, because they want to make that metaphor. They they want to have that story yeah. about, am I being liked for me or for this thing that I, I mean, it, it there's mm-hmm. so, it's so rich. The, whether it's somebody who's got a lot of money or a lot of power, it's the, like, how do I know that they like me for who I am as a person? 
um, or just somebody who's beautiful. How do I like? How, and 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 we root for. Also, by the way, Tatiana Maslany, not only a great actress, uh, I would say a very attractive person. Uh, and yet the show is like, no, it's, she's mousy it's, it's, and not right. interesting at all. Yeah, like, okay, yeah, I guess. Whatever. Let, me, let me let me take you back to she's all that, wherein Rachel right. Lee Cook here, here. wasn't charming and attractive enough. But boy, you get her out of those overalls. Yeah, and at, least, at least they didn't take make her glasses. wear glasses the whole time. Take off but, the glasses. But it's like uh, that, right? Like, I, so yeah. that, that's also funny. It's like, oh, nobody, nobody would like Tatiana Maslany. Nope, nope, not at all. Mm, okay, <laughs> show, I, sure. I, I mean, I, I hate to make the, well, it could have been worse thing. Um, you know, it, it could have been worse, but I, 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 I'm a thousand percent with Erica that for some reason, the Hulk powers make Jennifer Walters' hair longer. Uh-huh. <laughs> and accentuate parts of her physique her curvy. <laughs> that that uh, mm-hmm. that aren't quite as curvy. Whereas they, they make Bruce Banner's face square. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's all testosterone. It's Jeans science. are weird. You it's guys, science Moises. It turns Bruce Banner into a giant green tiki mug. Yeah, Hulk, um, Hulk testosterone <laughs> is just it's gamma rays, man. That's just science. Mm-hmm. That's just yeah, how it, it is. It uh, makes him square, makes her curvy. I do you know, love that's that, just... that, that it's revealed that Bruce just has a hangout on the beach in Mexico and that's where he goes. It's just like, I, 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 did, I did good use of Mark Ruffalo in this, I, I thought, in yeah. general. But, yes. but um, Great use of Mark Lynn Baker as her dad, too. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, man. As soon as I saw him, I was sure. like, Cousin Larry! Yeah, this is, a, um, this, is a, this is a fun show and I really liked it a lot and I hope they do more of it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, look, we can have a spinoff <laughs> with Aunt Ruby and Madison and Madison going and, out on the town. And Wong, Wong will be there because he's in everything. Oh, Wong yeah. will be around. Yeah. Wong will be yes. there. He's a, he is in everything. Gotta have Wong. But I, yeah, I thought it, I thought it was fun. And to the point, like Chip mentioned, uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. I feel like Falcon and Winter Soldier was also sort of like we oh. They came to us and said, "We have to do TV shows now. What are we going to do?" And they're like, uh, "Look, there's how, this. How are we going to make this idea for a movie into a TV there's show? There's this project that we had as a movie, and it wasn't really working. And we'll break it up into bits, and we'll make it a TV show, and it'll be kind of like that. And like, and and then they had Wandavision, which then because of the pandemic ended up releasing first. And Wandavision was their experiment, and that was the funny part is, um, they they had that moment where they're like, "Oh, wait a second." The experiment was more successful than the thing that we did as a placeholder. And so I feel for Falcon and Winter Soldier because it really was, uh, it feels very much like they're like, oh, we don't even know. Let's just do this. But It was well, the training wheels all yeah, the way. The, yeah. the other aspect of it that, that I, I, I've come to understand is that originally, um, not only was it conceived as a movie that then got expanded out to, hey, what if you made it a TV show instead? Um, but there was also something of a pandemic. Yeah, there was a whole plot point it. about about a, a a pandemic that they had to remove from the show. Yeah. Oh yeah, oh. no, no, was... it, it's there's so many problems with that. So, but what yeah. what I wanted yeah. to say is I wanted to turn around to the positive, which is to say one of the things I've loved <laughs> in movies and I've loved in TV, which is um, Marvel has felt free to experiment, and you really could see it going the other way. It's almost like. It's that argument that it's like the innovator's dilemma, which is like once you've become so successful, you never, ever, ever want to take a risk because you have the things that are successful. And I admire so much that Marvel Studios and the apparently robot who runs it have <laughs> said, we we have so much goodwill now and so much latitude. Let's 
keep playing around. And both of these shows are like, let's do some things that are different. They can't. In fact, it's a liability if they come out of the factory looking like they were just extruded from the same press as five other movies and TV shows, right? Like then what do they even have that makes them different, that makes them stand out? If it's just another widget, people will like lose track of what they even are. And so I think it's a good move business and creatively but as a fan i also just really love that that you get something like she hulk and something like ms marvel and they're both quintessentially marvel things but also very different in terms of their tone and their genre like i just i really admire the fact that that with a license to print money they are making an effort to do different things (laughs) On, on that note in particular, and, you know, I know we're not discussing this thing in full um, and, and it's about She-Hulk and Miss Marvel, but the trajectory that things are on now is such that composer Michael Giacchino was given a Werewolf by Night Halloween hour-long special, which um, a, a special presentation in Marvel parlance is what we used to call TV movies, yep. um, in, in which... In which uh, you've got Man Thing, you've got the Werewolf by Night, um, Laura Donnelly from the Nevers as Elsa Bloodstone, one of my favorite new new Marvel characters, and um, uh, um, beloved incomparable uh, character actor Kirk Thatcher, aka Punk, Punk on, on Bus, bus. Yep. <laughs> from Star Trek Four as as a as a giant Scottish barbarian, um, and they shot the whole thing like a 1930s Universal horror movie, and they just threw all the money at it and did it. And, and I like that that's where we're at now. And, uh, I, I, I never, th- I never thought that we would have something that centered man thing of all things, um, or that we would have it's a Ted. Wanda Maximoff centered show <laughs> as weird as WandaVision. Yeah. Um, but I, I feel like these two shows make me feel like they have learned all of the right lessons from this first wave of all of their Disney plus stuff. Yeah. I, I certainly, if these two shows are any indication, right? So, well, um, I feel like we've reached the end. There is obviously we could talk much more about this. I had a whole tangent that I wanted to share about how this also applies to Andor with Star Wars, but we're going to leave it. Oh, my brain was right there with you, Jason. (laughs) Uh, And we're going to wrap this episode up. So I would like to thank my panelists for being here and talking about these two fun shows that you should watch if you get Disney Plus. Chip Sutter, thank you for being here. Thanks a lot, Jason. Cicero Holmes, thank you, as always. Uh, thank you, Jason. Avengers accumulate. <laughs> <laughs> Erica Ensign, thank you. Uh, it's time for me to go back to being just Erica. All right, you're going to de-Hulkify. And uh, Moises <laughs> Chuyon, thank you. I bet this one's going to have a really good tag. <laughs> and now is the part where I break the fourth wall and I go to our podcast overlords. Yeah, I'll just say goodbye. Thank you to everybody out there for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. We will uh, see you next time. <laughs>